Welcome back to KafaroCast, everybody. Frank here. Um, Aaron is in some meetings today, so I have a special guest, my brown brother from the West Coast, from another mother, Chris Molina. What's going on, Chris? Not a whole lot. Morning, Frank. Glad to be on. Yeah, it is early in the morning here. It's uh, it's 6.30 <laughs> here in the morning, so it's got to be pretty early over there. What is it, like 4.30 or 5.30? No, it's five. I think we're an hour behind. It's five thirty here. Yeah. But yes, it is. It is early, especially when you're a government worker like me. <laughs> so Chris has been Chris <laughs> has been hammering in the gym for at least an hour. So, um, it's not very early for him. Plus, you got a you got a couple kids, so I'm sure they wake up pr- decently early. You got a couple uh, babies, right? Yeah, I got a couple. They're uh, they're hopefully still sleeping though. I don't think they got up yet. But generally, yes, they are up by five or six usually. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely trying to hold off as long as possible. So we'll see what happens with that. That's funny. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I give you a year or two. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funny. So, uh, so I've known Chris for probably uh, since I worked here. Chris used to work for uh, for Botec, um, but now he's he's moved on to uh, an adult job. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Chris and how long you worked for Botech and how you got into the outdoor industry and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think I met I met Aaron back in 2000. I want to say 2014 or so. Um, we did a seminar at the Botech Pro Shop here in Eugene with him and Jason Phelps. Um, but I started for Botech back in 2009, 10ish. Kind of a weird story. I I didn't grow up in a hun- in a hunting family. Um, kind of just met a friend of mine that was a bow hunter and he was you know always talking about it and i thought hey man, that sounds kind of fun so i went out and i purchased the bow from a, a different shop um you know make a long story short had some issues there and could never get the bow to shoot quite right and you know, being a, a beginner i was just just kind of you know this is this isn't as hard or this isn't as easy as it should be i guess or harder than it should be i don't know however you want to put it but um so i ended up killing deer with that bow and then sent it sent it on its way and had another friend that had shot Botech for a while and, and told me, hey, come down to their pro shop and, and uh, you know, see what they've got to offer. So I went down there and ended up buying a bow from them. And in the process, there was a guy there by the name of Jordan working there at the time and um, kind of just became friends with him and was just kind of a fly in the pro shop, really, just hung out all the time and um, decided to kind of start tinkering on my own bows when, when they weren't real busy or anything and, you know, kind of just dove into it right there and, and from there on it just kind of blew up and pretty much became my life for a while um i started basically sometime in 2010 working on the weekends for the pro shop for todd and jordan just coming on saturdays and sundays i had another full-time job at the time um just help out started out just doing your random cutting arrows things like that the the unfun stuff and then just kept bugging everybody and picking brains and getting into the tuning and setups and stuff like that. And before I knew it, I was just working as a, as a tech there in the shop. Um, in 2000, maybe 2013, I believe they offered me a job full time in their customer service department, uh, customer service and warranty basically. And took that job. So quit my other job, went there full time. And then I still worked in the pro shop on the weekends and after about a year in customer service, they offered me basically an assistant management position in the pro shop. And so I took that and went back to the pro shop. 
worked there until almost 2017 and then left there and now I'm working for the city down here. Um, and I still work for Corey up at triple X every once in a while when I can get up there. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my story in a, in a nutshell there. Nice. So yeah, working in a pro shop, I'm sure you got, uh, pretty familiar with bows and, and tuning and stuff. So how, how, how comfortable are you with tuning? Do you tune all your own stuff or do you have time still now that you have a, a, a family or do you take your stuff down to, to Corey at triple X and have him help you out? Or what do you do with all that stuff? Yeah. You know, really, I still do all my own stuff myself. I have a shop and set up in my garage. Um, just, you know, press the, the, the main tools you need, um, paper tuner that I built and everything like that. Um, you know, I, I kind of dove when I got into the bow stuff and the archery stuff, I, I did the, spend a ton of time on forums, you know, reading what I could and figuring out what I could tinkering here and there. Um, in the beginning, primarily working with Bowtech, you know, their cam system's kind of unique. So most of my knowledge went there. Um, you know, their, their overdrive system and everything. And, you know, just kind of pick the brains of the older, the older guys that have worked there for a while and been around for a while. There's some guys there that have been there, you know, 15 years or so that are just amazing when it comes to basically anything with a cam on it. Um, you know, Todd and, and, and John Hernandez, those guys are just wizards when it comes to bows. It's crazy the things they can do. But, you know, so I got into that and, you know, figured out the Bowtech stuff pretty quick. Um, you know, and then I kind of just transitioned into having to learn about everything else because even though we were a, a Bowtech pro shop, we got a lot of stuff, you know, Matthews, Hoyt, you know, PSEs, I mean, everything that came to the door. Guys that had just gotten their bows wherever and, and didn't have a shop to go to, so they came to us. Um, you know, so it kind of just, you really you really have to learn all of it or you're just not going to be, you know, able to help everybody out the way you should. Um, and then even from there, I, I kind of took it upon myself to learn even more. Um, you know, started picking brands of, you know, guys like Aaron and stuff like that that just you know little tips and tricks here and there. And, you know, when I left Bowtech, um, you know, it was the first time in really six or seven years that I'd kind of been able to shoot whatever I wanted. So, you know, just picking up new bows that I hadn't really had a whole lot of time with. Basically, I had to reteach myself a lot of things on them. But all in all, a lot of bows are similar. You know, you can kind of tune one, you can tune them all, I guess. There are some that you have issues with, but generally you can work them out if you know what you're doing. Gotcha. Um, so now when it comes to my own bows, yeah, my, my own bows, I generally tune myself. Um, I kind of just working, working in the industry like I did. It's, it's, I guess it'd be like having a, being a mechanic and taking your car to another mechanic, you know? So yeah, exactly. So really, I just do it all on my own. <laughs> and, and you're shooting a, um, what's your setup now? You're shooting a prime now, aren't you? I'm shooting a prime. Yeah. Synergy hybrid, uh, 70 pound, 27 and a half inch draw shooting a 490 grain, uh, Black Eagle Rampage, shooting the 125 grain iron wheels, um, four fletch, a fletchings, uh, yeah, spot hog, fast ADSL, double pin, um, ham ski, drop away, fighter stabilizer, and tight spot quiver. And I was talking to you recently about um, shooting a single pin or shooting that double pin. You used to shoot. Uh just a, a fixed like five or seven pin didn't you and then you recently changed over to a single yeah i shot a I shot a fixed fixed five pin for the longest time i tried a seven but it was just kind of too much for me um just a lot going on and, and found myself counting pins and things like that you know when i shouldn't have been um switched to a movable site back in i don't know probably 13 or 14 and for the longest time i shot a three pin setup and then uh, just recently switched to that 
that spot hog double pin. And so far it's been going really good. I, I, you know, I haven't had a whole ton of time behind it, but, but it's, it works great. And, you know, now that they've got the dual pin pointer on there, it, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it, you know, as before where you just kind of had to know what your settings were. So now with the sight tape and the, and the, uh, dual system on there, it's a lot faster and you can, you know, acquire yardages easier. So it's been working out good this year so far. Um, the only mistakes that cost me this year were my own, so I can't blame it on the site, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. Yeah, I've been thinking about, I mean, I've been going back and forth. I, I've hunted with both this year, and I think some situations the single pin's awesome. Um, and then, you know, for, I would think stuff that, like, like at calling in an elk, I think may, for me at least, a, a fixed pin might might be a bit better, so I don't have to, to dial it in. But stocking a bedded mule deer or, you know, stocking animals, um, where you're not necessarily calling them in, I think the single pin might be a, a good choice, and that I might just stick with that for next year. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, speaking of hunting, I, I think I was talking to you last week or the week before, and you're like, you should uh, you should come out um, Roosevelt elk hunting. It's a real kick in the dick. I was like, oh, dude, that definitely makes me want to go out there. So <laughs> from what the, from what it sounds like, you're always um, busting brush and and hunting in the rain and stuff like that. And it's definitely some stuff that we don't really have to deal with here in Colorado. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't know why I continue to do it. You know, every year I tell myself, oh, I'm gonna head over east. I'm gonna head over east. I'm gonna go somewhere else and hunt elk. And whatever reason, it something just draws me back to hunting Roosevelt's over here on the coast. You know, I don't know. I guess maybe just part of me just likes the challenge, but you know, it's not, obviously there's, there's a lot of tougher hunts out there probably. And you know, you guys have deal with elevation, stuff like that. I mean, we don't really deal with that. You know, we're basically at sea level over here, but you know, you get on the Oregon coast over here and it's just, I mean, it's just thick and nasty and everything wants to poke you and grab you and cut you. And you know, it's just always raining. Well, I mean, we've had pretty good weather these last couple of years actually. And, but a lot of times it's raining, you know, it's fogged in, you can't see anything. And, you know, like you were saying with the single pin and stuff like that, when it comes to elk hunting over here, especially, you know, a lot of times you don't really have, you know, that far of a shot. I mean, you, you're under 30 yards and, you know, much over that in some of the brush over here, you can't see anything anyways. I mean, I've been in situations, you know, had a bull at, you know, 30, 40 yards and couldn't even hardly see where he was. And there's really no way of getting an arrow in there. You know, and it, it, it's one of those challenges you know, I think a lot of people, you know, they would enjoy it if they tried it, but, but it's a lot of heartbreak too. You know, I mean, there's tons of times where you're close to elk and can't, you can, you can hear them. You can't even hardly see them, you know, or you're, you're walking to the brush and you end up blowing them out of their beds or something. And then you're scattering trying to figure out what the heck you're doing and where they're going, you know, and a lot of ups and downs, you know, you're, you're constantly dropping into stuff, hoping there's elk in there. And, you know, I, I used to just walk around kind of aimlessly and, and drop in here and there and, by the midday I'd be dead tired and couldn't hardly climb back out. And when I finally started calling it, it started helping quite a bit. Cause a lot of times you can locate these elk and at least know that they're there before you go trampling through a bunch of brush and blackberries and whatever else is in there trying to find elk. So definitely, definitely different tactics than you guys are probably used to. I know Aaron grew up over here. I don't know how much rosy hunting he did, but I mean, he could, he could attest to the crap we got to go through over here. It's, it's not easy. That's for sure. But there's just something, something about those elk that keep drawing me back into them yeah and you killed a pretty good one last year and it had uh what did it have it had some type of like rope or bailing rope or wire or something in its antlers didn't it yeah what did i end up killing a, a six by seven um that was towards the end of the season too of, wasn't it yeah it was second to last week second to last weekend i do believe um 
and it was kind of crazy. He was all by himself. Um, basically, I was just walking out to a spot I'd seen elk in before and, and kind of was just doing some blind bugling as I was walking and bugled once and I heard what I thought was a bugle, but it was, you know, way off in the distance. And so I stopped and basically bugled again and got an answer again. And this kind of went back and forth for a little while and I could tell he was coming closer. And so I got the wind right in my favor and set up on the edge of this little, there's this little meadow in this area. And I set up on the far edge of it and, you know, we kind of battled back and forth and he would bugle and I cut him off and he cut me off and he was raking and, you know, I could hear him coming through the timber. So I just got ready, got an arrow knocked and he popped out of the timber, probably, I don't know, 80, 90 yards away and was, like I said, he was all by himself. And so I made just one cow call and he basically came sprinting across to where I was. Um, he came in front of me at like five yards and turned broadside. And I mean, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't draw. You know, I was, I basically just was stuck there and he was staring at me and I was staring at him and in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is over. You know, I didn't think I was going to get a shot at him. <laughs> yeah. He stood there for, it seemed like forever. I mean, I was shaking, you know, I, I mean, five, you know, five under five yards from a, a bull that size is pretty intimidating. And, you know, I'm standing there and trying not to move and holding my breath basically. And whatever reason he took off running to my left, I drew my bow cow called and he spun back around and came right in front of me and stopped at, I don't know, 15, 17 yards broadside. And I shot him perfect shot and you know, heart double lung basically he went 60 70 yards and fell over in the timber um and yeah it was it was crazy I, I walked up to him and and i wasn't really sure what was going on and as i got closer i was like man what the heck is that on his on his antlers and he had two pieces one was one was like some bailing twine basically and then the other one was some sort of a rope wrapped around the base of his antlers and it was it was tight enough where it actually like indented his forehead a little bit so I don't know, you know, it had obviously been on there not forever because he threw it into his antlers, but, you know, it was, it was matting his hair down and everything. And I actually had to cut it out to get the cape off his head to, to bleach the skull out. But, um, you know, where I was hunting as a crow flies, there's there's a guy that has some cattle probably, I don't know, 10 miles away or so. And I'm assuming he just wandered into there somehow and might have been eating some alfalfa or something and got it wrapped up in his head. But, it's pretty crazy. I kept it. I don't have it on the, the head yet, but I kept it so I could put it back on there if I wanted to. But definitely one of those, you walk up to it and you're like, what the heck's going on here? At first I thought it was velvet, and then I realized it was rope. And, and but man, did it smell bad. <laughs> did it? Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, we've seen, um, I think last year we were, not that this is an elk or anything, but last year when we were um, antelope hunting, we saw the same thing with uh, with an antelope. It had some uh, bailing twine in, on its uh on its prongs there and it was it was pretty cool and unique so a cool way to to identify animals um who uh so you said you didn't really grow up hunting who kind of mentored you or, or kind of taught you the touch of the ropes and do you do you hunt with phelps and those guys or did he kind of teach you how to to call elk and stuff like that or how did that all work out you know that that's actually it's i don't really have anybody that, that really taught me you know how to hunt or 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 what to do when hunting you know and that's that's kind of the, the tough part about this sport. And, you know, one thing that I really try to encourage people now is, you know, just get out and try, you know, jump on forums, you know, call anybody that you know that does it, you know, gather any information you can because, you know, the first, I don't know, man, the first three seasons that I hunted, it was pretty much just me aimlessly wandering around the woods with a, you know, a bow in my hand and didn't really have any tactics. I didn't really know any places, you know, in, in Oregon to go. I mean, I knew where, you know, the National Forest and BLM stuff was and, you know, I knew some of the private timber company stuff around here that we could hunt. 
but really, you know, I had, I had one friend that I hunted with a little bit, but I wouldn't say he really mentored me. I mean, he was kind of newer to the sport too. And, um, you know, we just kind of would hunt a little bit here and there together, but primarily I hunt by myself and it's just been self-taught. You know, I, I, I'd like to say I'm, I'm successful more than I'm not, but a lot of, you know, I'm still learning. I mean, every day is a, a new thing out there. You know, you learn something new every day and you're sitting there going, Oh, that would have been nice to know. might've killed this animal if I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, it's a, it's a scary enough industry to get into just because of the challenge of it, but, you know, not really having someone to kind of guide you into it takes it to a whole new level. Um, but one thing I did do, you know, like you're saying with Phelps and stuff, I don't, I don't hunt with Phelps and Nick and those guys, but I do talk to them all the time. You know, I keep a pretty good relationship with them and, you know, Toby Gangler and John Gabriel and, and even Charlie Smith is as big of a jerk as he is sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's cause he doesn't have a soul, but exactly. Yeah. He's, he's soulless, but, um, he's a good guy though. But, uh, you know, just having, having friends like that, that you can call and say, Hey, you know, what should I have done or what could I have done has helped ton, you know, uh, Jason, I mean, obviously that guy's incredible at calling, you know, Chuck is too. And, and, you know, so it's situations, you know, I find myself a lot, you know, what, what do I do now? And, and, you know, a lot of times I'll get done hunting or whatever. And I'll, you know, text one of those guys and say, Hey, you know, I had this happen today. What can I do? And, and you know, they're really good at getting back to you and, and encouraging, you know, and that's one of the biggest things that I think is, is important is, you know, surround yourself with people that are positive because there's, there's so much negativity as it is anyways, you know, in, in, in archery hunting and in, in the industry alone, uh, you know, you find some guys that are, that are positive and, and want you to be successful and, and, you know, really keep them close to you and, and, you know, tell them your struggles and talk to them about what's going on. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, as I was in the industry, I met a lot of great people and a lot of them are still good friends of mine. Some of them I don't talk to anymore, but you know, that's just, you got to have people out there that know what they're doing or, or, you know, have been in those situations to learn from them. If you, you know, if you are struggling there, but you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been a, a, a lot of heartbreaks, but you know, when you finally do, you know, kill something, it's, it's kind of that feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, it's, it's not like a lot of, you know, I grew up, I wrestled and played football and stuff like that and team sports and everything, you know, it's, you get a, that excitement out of victories as well. But you know, when it's hunting and it's you and no one, you know, you versus animals, whatever. It's, it's a whole new thing when you when you're successful, and it's you know it's 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 awesome. And I I really really think everybody that's you know thinking about doing it or wants to do it just has to dive into it. You know, even if you don't know anybody that does it, you just got to get out there and try. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it it definitely can be intimidating for for new hunters and stuff like that. But like you're saying, I mean, there's so many resources out there. Uh, you can you can do your research and. Um, you know, as long as you don't want everything handed to you, do your part to, um, to get out there and, and figure things out yourself if you have to. Um, I think it's, it's a good way to learn. And you're, uh, you're not only a bow hunter, but you, you hunt with a gun too. So I think that's a, that's a great way to extend your season. I, I just had a late season antelope doe tag. So I think, uh, not putting all your eggs into one basket with just bow hunting. I think it's a fun way to extend your season and also continue to learn new stuff, new, new terrain, um, new tactics and stuff like that. So what, what type of, uh, you, you hunt spring bear and stuff with a rifle and you do a little bit of deer hunting and, and stuff like that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, you know, it, it's fun. I, I, I really enjoy rifle hunting too. And it's, it's, you know, you go back and forth between me and should I rifle hunt this year? Should I bow hunt this year? You know, I, I get a little jealous that your guys' seasons that are, you know, they're extended out and you have all those options, you know, leftover tags, whatever they are, you know, even if they're doe tags, it still, it just gets you out there hunting, you know, and I, uh, I got into bear hunting a few years back. Um, just had some friends that were into it, and hey, you should get a tag and come with us. So I did, and and it's been a ton of fun. It's actually, 
it's kind of consumed me really. It's probably one of my favorite seasons is that, that spring bear season that we have. And, um, you know, you just get out and, and you're just glass and cuts basically. And, you know, looking for that fresh growth and everything and, and the, where the grass and dandelions and stuff are growing. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a whole different challenge to, to hunting with a gun. I mean, you know, some might say it's easier. Some might say it's not, you know, I, I think it's got its struggles just like anything else does. Um, fortunately I've been, I've been fairly successful with, you know, with the tag that I do rifle hunt, um, killed a few bears. And then generally I put in for, we have like a 600 series extra tag for a deer. Um, generally I'll, I'll use a rifle on those unless it's, you know, I used to hunt someone with a bow and I, I still every now and then, but generally it's just a chance for me to get my guns out and, you know, stretch them out a little bit and use them. Um, I've got a couple custom guns, so it's fun to try to get out and, you know, see if I can't reach out and touch something a little bit. But, um, actually I think I was, I told you I killed that deer this year at like 590 yards or something like that with the, one of my guns. So that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it just gives you an opportunity to extend your season. Like you said, and you, you know, you, you get out in springtime and one of the best things about being out in spring too is, you know, you, you can get your eyes on a lot of animals as far as kind of scouting, scouting for, uh, for archery as well. You know, you, you start seeing elk and deer and kind of learning where they're coming and going. And meanwhile, all the time you're, you're bear hunting too. So it, it's just a good opportunity to get out and, you know, get out in the woods and, and have some fun and, and kill some critters if you can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you said, scouting for, uh, for different seasons. One thing I always do when I'm out hunting, whether it be for, uh, you know, archery or whatever rifle, big game hunting, I'm always scouting for places to hunt coyotes and, and predators. And, um, you started doing that a little bit recently. I think you, you were telling me that you had access to one of your buddy's ranches and he's got some coyotes out there. So, um, how often do you get out predator hunting? Or is that something you started doing this year? I, you know, I've only been out a couple of times, actually, you kind of inspired me on that one you know, just giving you something else to do. I have, I have some, some friends with some, uh, basically, you know, uh, grassland stuff out here that have some coyote issues. And, you know, I go, go out there a couple of times when I can and, and I'm haven't been doing too well so far, but you know, nonetheless, you're, you're out, you're out there hunting. So it's fun, you know, and, and, you know, I pick your brain quite a bit about it cause we all know that you're just a big time coyote killer, but, um, no, I mean, it's fun. And, and, you know, we don't have, over here in, in Western Oregon, we don't really have those, you know, those, those wide open grassland stuff like they do in Eastern Oregon and, and the, you know, the sagebrush and all that stuff. And, you know, we still have coyotes over here. It's just, it's just kind of a different ball game over here. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had fun doing it and, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting into it a little more. I think, um, really, really it's just finding time, you know, you, you get your weekends come and go and, and, you know, like you said, unfortunately, I got a couple of crib midgets that, that keep me pretty busy, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, trying to make some time for it. Cause it is, it is definitely, it is a kick in the pants just being out there, you know, and trying something new. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an addiction. Um, back to the, to the gun hunting stuff and the long range stuff. So you, uh, it sounds like a lot of that stuff, um, or most of the stuff you do is self-taught the, the long range shooting and stuff. Is that, is that along the same lines Is that you kind of just do your research and, um, I think I think one thing for me that's helped is, is uh, there's a, like a bunch of apps out there like the Shooter app that's that's helped me figure out um, you know calculating holdover and, and dialing the scope and all that stuff and then friends I, I talked to you about shooting stuff and then I got my buddy Jordan Cower out in Idaho he helps me out a lot with the the shooting and Matt Whaley and uh, Wes Bunderson but how did you kind of get into that and when did you get your first custom gun and what are the details on those things? Yeah, I don't. It it is kind of self-taught. I mean, I have, you know, again, I have some guys around here that that are 
are big into the long range shooting, you know, and probably know a lot more than, than I'll ever know, honestly. But, um, you know, a lot of it's just, I had some friends that were kind of into it and, you know, I'm not talking like extreme long range. I mean, we're not putting animals down at 1200 yards, you know, but you know, five, six, seven, 800 yards, you know, is, is shots that I'll take. Um, you know, some of it is self-taught. Some of it's, you know, I got a, a guy that I work with that builds up all my loads and stuff and, and, you know, he's really good at that. And, and he's actually, you know, pretty, pretty good at the long range stuff himself too. So, you know, he's, he's taught me a lot and helped me out a ton. Um, you know, as far as my guns, the, the gun I shoot the most is a, is a seven, 300. Um, and it's topped with a Vortex, uh, Razor Gen 2. Um, but that's, that's one of my favorite guns. It's full custom 20, 28 inch barrel and everything. So it's, it reaches out there pretty good. It's, a little bit heavy, but you know I generally use it for bear hunting. That way, it's not I'm not just packing it everywhere if I don't have to. But um, like you're saying, there's there's a lot of apps and stuff nowadays that you know I won't say make it any easier because you still have to do your part, but they make it a lot. They simplify it. You know they 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 break it down and you know tell you where to hold over, where to twist your turrets to, and and so it's it's a little simpler than the guys that were doing it you know 10 years ago without these apps that were having to you know jot the stuff down on paper and, and do everything in their head. You know so really it's one of those things that there's even factory guns nowadays. I mean, there's factory guns that, that companies are putting out that are shooting, you know, a thousand yards and, and people are knocking stuff down with them. And, you know, so again, it's one of those things where it is expensive to get into, but man, it's a kick in the pants. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when you roll some at five or 600 yards, it's, it's kind of that feeling, man, I just did that, you know, and, and you get kind of a little, a uh, little bit of a, of a rush going from it. But, um, but yeah, I, I want to get into it more. You know, I, 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 every year I say I'm going to try, you know, I'm, I'm going to shoot more and stuff like that. Actually, you know, with that being said, I did, like, I missed a bear this year at like 350 yards. So Yeah, <laughs> so I remember I that. I was like, dude, sure. what the fuck? You're like, <laughs> you're telling me about all these long range shots and you missed one at 300. I was like, what the shit is going on, Chris? Like, yeah, I don't know what happened there either. I was, uh, I was just kind of left and I'm like, what the heck did I just do? But, you know, that's what, that's what keeps you coming back. You know, can't kill them all, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one one thing I wanted to say that uh, Razor Gen Two scope that you have, I have one on my AR, and I don't think I think uh, Vortex gets a doesn't get as much credit as they should on their um, higher end scopes. Uh, I know mean, a lot of people don't like their their lower end stuff, but I I really that's one of my favorite scopes. I I put it on my uh, 18 inch AR this year, and I shot a coyote a couple weeks ago at 509 yards with it, and uh, I mean I, for it's a little bit heavy, it's on the heavy side, but um, most of my coyote guns are heavy anyway, and I think it's a pretty good quality scope. Um, one of their one of their nicer scopes, from what I understand from the from the long range shooter guys that I've talked to. But I've been a fan of it. I mean, I've I've haven't haven't had any trouble with it, so I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I've been you know, I have that on one of my guns, um, and then I have a couple of their their other scopes too, and their PSDs and stuff like that. And as far as that razor goes, I you know I think it's a phenomenal scope. Um, you know, I've I've shot a couple of the night four scopes and everything, and you know, obviously those scopes are, are awesome as well, you know, and, and obviously, you know, you say the name Night Force and everybody knows it, obviously, but, you know, for um, for what I've done with that scope, I mean, it, it, it's far past what I'll ever need, you know, and, and the glass is great and the clarity is great, the eye relief is good, you know, the turret system is good, and, and, you know, for me, I don't really see a reason to change it, <clears throat> and I probably won't, and I'll just keep it around forever, but, you know, there's there's tons of good optics companies out there, and you know you can argue all day about which one's the best. But you know, when it comes down to it, that the higher end Vortex stuff is is really nice. You know, and, and I've used I use a ton of their stuff. You know, I have some Razor binoculars and, and 
and razor spot and scope and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in them. And, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they, they kind of have their opinions about them, but I've had zero issues with them and haven't had to say anything back except for the binoculars I ran over and they replaced them. Sent me <laughs> the next day, so I, I won't complain. You know, I was middle of air season and was an idiot and ran over my binoculars. So <laughs> for them to send a pair out for me to use is pretty cool. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I've been a fan of, the, of their stuff and, and uh, pretty good friends with Mark Boardman. He works there in their marketing department, so he's he's a really good dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're saying, there's a, there's a ton of good optics out there. I've got a couple loophole scopes, which I really like. Uh, I got a Night Force scope, so I'm definitely not biased by by any means. But I just I'm a fan of that scope for sure. Yeah, and that's you know one of the biggest things for me too is you know uh, Ken Calhoun that works out there at Vortex. You know, he's a great guy, and I've I've become pretty good friends with him and um you know it's just it's just nice to to help support you know companies that have people like that in the industry because you know it's you make a lot of friends in the industry but if there's just some that stand out you know it's kind of like you and Aaron you know it's, it's you know one of the reasons I run your guys' packs you know just one of the many is, is just because of the type of people you guys are you know you're both great people and, and that's how Ken is at Vortex and so you, you make make relationships like that and it's just you know you you, you want to continue to support them the, the best you can so that's part of, you know, what the big reason why I run Vortex stuff. And, and, you know, and just aside from that, I haven't had any issues with it. So, you know, coming from my own personal point of view, I just, you know, affordable optics and, and good optics for what, you know, the price range and everything out there is. So. Right, exactly. Um, one one thing I wanted to, to bring back up is the outdoor industry. And since you were you were in it for a while and now you're out of it, what is what are some of the things that you've noticed have, have been changing or um, what are some of the trends that, you, that you're noticing? <laughs> where, where do we start here? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know that, and I and I tell you this all the time. I think you know you're kind of newer. You know, you haven't been in the industry a whole a whole long time. And you know, I think one of the first things I told you is, you know, you're going to meet a lot of people, and and there's going to be a lot of people that are your real friends, and then they're that are your friends because essentially you can help them out. You know, and unfortunately that's just what it is. I mean, it's that way in any industry, though. I mean, it, you know, the outdoor industry, or you know. It really any, I mean, retail industry, you know, your friends want to discount something, you know, they come to your running, you know, but, um, you know, I think, I think the industry that's whole there, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. I, I think, you know, I think social media has played a big role in, in the outdoor industry. I think you're seeing a lot of people nowadays doing things that they generally wouldn't do to try to, you know, to try to be successful. And, and you know, one of the things I think I see a lot is, is people that, you know, they, they try so hard to be successful in the outdoor industry and, and they forget about why they started doing it in the first place. And, you know, and I went through that too. I mean, you, you feel like you're working at a pro shop or, you know, you're working for a company, you know, like Kafaro or something, and you, you think that you have to be successful for, for people to, you know, want to trust and use your product. But, you know, that's, that's not the truth, really. I mean, your product, if it's good, it's going to sell itself, you know, and, and you being successful and taking pictures and stuff is just an added bonus, you know. But, you know, a lot of times it seems like people in the industry just forget you know, why they got into it in the first place and, and what drew them to the outdoors and, and, and wanted, made them want to do that. Um, you know, so I think, I think social media has played a big part of that. I'm not going to say it's, it's really, it hasn't ruined the industry, obviously, because it does a lot of great things for it, you know, as far as advertising things like that. Um, but it's just changed a ton, you know, and, and when I first got into archery, the, the social media stuff, it was there, the presence was there, but, you know, we're talking 2010, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as it is now where every single person that's walking around on Instagram or, or, facebook or you know twitter what whatever it is and you know so it's it's just become a huge part of everything yeah and, uh, yes you know, so in the industry you just you get those people that you know like i was saying you know you, you 
you want to be so you want to be successful just simply for the likes or the you know the the shares or whatever it is but um but no i mean the industry in a whole it's a ton of fun i mean there's you know you go to the, the trade shows i know you've been to a few of them you know and, and you meet some great people and you have a good time and it's kind of just a, a big gathering of, of like-minded people um but you know it's it's something i miss i miss it all the time and that's part of you know why i work for Corey is just because it keeps me in it um you know and, and it's just once you've been in it for a while you're get out of it and you're kind of like man that, that was a good time you know and i did have fun but you know at the same time it, it does come with with some of the downsides too and i'm sure you've seen some of it i mean it's you know you, you think you meet people that are your friends and stuff and then you know the minute things changes they're they're nowhere to be seen or nowhere to be found you haven't heard from them so it's, it's it's kind of it's kind of crappy and on that side of things but but it is what it is you know and and it, in, in the long you know the the long-term thing it is just a fun industry to be in you know i'm sure you've seen that yourself yeah, I say that all the time when people ask me, like, what's your favorite part of, of working for Kofaro or, or being in the outdoor industry in general? And it, it basically, it's just the meeting cool people and uh, making friendships and stuff like that. Because, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have I met you or, or, or Nick or John or, or Phelps or Charlie or any of those guys up there in, in the West, on the Pacific Northwest. And I, like Jordan Cower, I, I talk to him pretty much every day. So I think uh, the relationships you build are, are, are some of the best things about working in the outdoor industry and, and you're right um just like in, with anything you'll you'll meet people with the with the wrong intentions or um they're kind of just using you or, or the company to to for themselves and i mean we definitely work with people um as a partnership so i mean we want to help people out just as much as they as we want them to to help boost the company but um yeah i mean every once in a while you'll meet a couple bad apples that It'll come along, but uh, yeah, for the most part, I mean, it it, it is a, a fun job to have, and um, the relationships you build, I think, are some yeah. of the, some of the best things. Yeah, and that's and that's you know the biggest thing. Like I met, you know, like I said, I met some great people. You know, I mean, you know, like you and Aaron, and, and you know, Chris Pasqual and, and Nick Schmidt, John Gabriel, and Chuck, and, and Jason, and Tyson. Everybody. I mean, you know, a lot of those guys. I mean, I talked to them for months before I ever I ever met them in person. You know, but you know, we we'd be texting her in a group message and you know, you're just cracking up like your buddies. You know I mean? I think you and I talk pretty much, pretty much daily, if not every couple of days, you know, some stupid random there's, meme comes there's in. There's definitely a lot of shit talking <laughs> that goes be. on. Oh yeah. 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 But I mean, it's friendly shit talking, you know, and that's the nice thing is that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I mean, I shoot, I picked your brain a ton, you know, and that's the cool thing too, is like I was saying, you know, you, you, you find those people that you can, you can gain information from. And I mean, you know, I, I, asking you all the time about you know be it predator hunting or i mean, I mean even high country mule deer hunting and there's not a mountain around me that's got mule deer on it probably that's you know twelve thousand feet but I'll, I'll bug you about it and ask you about it and you know it gives you kind of that that inspiration to get out and maybe try something new you know so it, it is nice and like you said you know you do meet a lot of good people and and some of the relationships that you build you know they, they turn to be more of a friendship than than a relationship you know and i think I think that's one thing people that are in the industry or, or getting into the industry or want to be in the industry need to really focus on is just, is just, you know, picking a good crowd and meeting good people and, and, you know, treating people with respect and just being, you know, wanting to be a good person themselves. Cause that, that'll make you a lot more friends, you know, in the long run. So. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of all the shit talking, like I was saying, when you missed that bear, I was like, what the fuck, Chris, you suck. But <laughs> Uh, when I was in Alberta, I, I missed. Somebody missed a deer at, yeah. at forty yards. And yeah, I, at for four and a half yeah, hours. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I, I missed quite a few times in Alberta, and you're like, dude, you fucking suck. You're an idiot. Uh, but yeah, the shit talk, shit talking goes back and forth. But uh, in the end, you know, we're we're always um, encouraging and we're like, yeah, just stick after it, man. You know, you got plenty of time. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely uh, 
a good a good time and good humor. So, um, you know, it is it is funny too because you know I, you you and Aaron, you know, you guys shoot so much and and you know I kind of obviously talking all the time. You know, you'll be you'll be at the range or whatever, and, and you guys are just you know just destroying the range. And you know, both of you guys are phenomenal shots. And 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 so it's it's kind of like when you when you text me and you're like I just missed a giant you know 40 yards or whatever. I'm just like man, this guy can you know. He can shoot and hit everything on a range, you know, generally kills everything he puts his points his bow at. But, you know, when you missed, I, I felt like I had to give you a little bit of shit. But, yeah, you know, at the end, it's, it's encouraging. You know, we we wanted you to be be successful. And I wanted you to kill a buck and everything. And, you know, but that's kind of – that's part of what keeps us coming back is, you know, you go on a, on a hunting trip and you're not successful and, you know, it just makes you want it even more the next time. And you, you learn from your mistakes and, and try to be a better hunter the next time around. And, you know, and, and – just following along with you guys in Alberta and stuff. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I, I would like to get out and do a hunt like that myself one day, you know, you know, hunt mule deer like that. But I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy since you guys sit, you know, under 40 yards. I mean, even 20 yards sometimes from these animals for, you know, half hour, hour, however long it might take. And, and just no clue that, you know, that buck has no clue that you're there. You know, all of a sudden they stand up and you're, you're right there. Should be a gimme shot. And then you miss, you know, it's, it's just it's like, man, I just did all that, and this is the outcome, you know. So, <laughs> it's pretty cool and fall along with you guys on I enjoyed a lot, you know. Yeah, Alberta was uh was definitely a, a good learning experience and different than any any type of hunting I've ever done. I've never hunted deer out in the prairies, so um, I'm sure uh, Ryan Harder, the guide that I was hunting with, he probably wanted to to choke the shit out of me several occasions on <laughs> on the mistakes I've made. But I think it was definitely good for me. I, I, and um, this is kind of lame thing to say, but if you kill them every single time, it probably wouldn't be as fun. But you know, that's the that's the goal, obviously. But um, yeah, it it was definitely a lot of stuff that um, I kind of forgot about during archery season and it. I definitely next year when I go, I'm going to do a lot more practicing and um, at least I'll know what to expect. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a fun trip and I can't wait to go back if I get to go back and definitely thankful that I, I got to, got the opportunity to go up there and Aaron took me up there in Kifaru. So um, yeah, it, I think everybody should at least try it once if they can. It's uh it's definitely a whole lot different from, from the high country mule deer stuff that I'm used to and hunting in the mountains here in Colorado. I've never really hunted in the plains like i said so it's a it's a whole different ball game but it's kind of cool to to hunt these different places and stuff like that um and, and gain the experiences have you uh have you had the chance to hunt outside of oregon or you, you do most of your stuff there not yet no i keep talking about it you know i, I want to do it I, i've been looking at you know some states close to here obviously um i just haven't really quite pulled the trigger on it yet um you know it, it's one thing hunting alone you know it's kind of it's it's kind of intimidating to just kind of pick a state, pick an area, and go. You know, really, and and I don't really have. You know, I have a couple guys that I hunt with a little bit, but like I said, I, I don't really have you know a hunting partner, so to say. Um, you know, so it's on the map. I mean, I told you, you know, I, I put in for some some points in Colorado, and you're going to take me and kill a 185 inch buck. You said, so <laughs> that'll happen eventually. So yeah, we gotta, we definitely gotta get <laughs> but, you out here. But no, I haven't done it yet. But I mean, I you know, it, it's going to happen eventually. I I just you know, got to figure it out and, and timing. And, you know, the nice thing is now I have a job that I have more time off and stuff. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a little easier essentially now. And, you know, as my girl's getting older and stuff like that, they're a little bit less of a handful, so to say, but, um, you know, and, and bless my wife's heart for, you know, taking care of and stuff while I do hunt, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big load on her and, and she handles it pretty well, you know? So one of these days I'll get out and, and get somewhere and, and, you know, I'd like to do some more, some more mule deer hunt. You know, Oregon unfortunately doesn't have a whole lot of opportunity for, you know, over-the-counter mule deer stuff. So, 
you know, general season archery you can hunt, but you know, you're, you're hunting early August or late August, early September and stuff. And a lot of times those bucks are, are hard to find and, and, you know, you're, you're battling with, with everybody else that's over the counter hunting too. So it, it can kind of, it can kind of be overwhelming. You know, uh, one of the things about, you know, living in Oregon and, and just the, the system we have here and the draw system and stuff is, is, you know, opportunities are kind of few and far between unless you have a lot of points. Unfortunately, I have a ton of points, but you know, hopefully one day I'll draw a good tag um, for me to here in Oregon. You know, there are some decent units, but you know, it seems like like in Colorado and places like that, I mean, your guys' you know, two, three, four-point units are, 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 you know, 13, 14-point units. So, you know, unfortunately, I just haven't hit the lottery on one of those yet. I, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, in 2013, I, I did draw an antelope tag that's like a nine, nine or 10-point tag with one point, so I, I won't complain too much now. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But, I, I think you got to get know, out there with that. You got to get out there with Chris Pasquale. He's looks like he's got the Mueller game figured out. Him and his dad both killed some really great deer this year. Man, I know those guys are killers. You know, and, and they, you know, I give it to them. You know, I was actually just getting a, going to touch on your guys' whitetail hunt and stuff like that. I, I, I got a buddy that lives over in North Carolina wants me to come out and hunt on a, on a lease that they have out there. But you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big tree stand hunter, or ground blind hunter. I've, I've tried it a little bit, and I just, I just my, my patience is. It's not where it needs to be, you know. I'll sit in the sand till nine or ten o'clock, and then I'm sitting there thinking, "Man, I bet there's there's animals running around everywhere. I need to go chase them down." And you know, so you know, it's, it's a whole new ball game. And but you know, Chris Pasqua, and you know, he does it for for blacktails and, and mule deer and stuff. And and he's a killer. I mean, he's got it figured out. You know, he's he's killed obviously the state record blacktail and just killed that gnarly. I don't know, was it three by five or something like that? With just some, I don't even know what was going on with it. And then his, his dad killed a killed a awesome buck too. And and you know, I, I give it to Chris because he's got patience. I mean, I think he sat on that that big blacktail he killed for 116 hours or something crazy like that. I mean, that's that's dedication, you know. And, and it's it's like you guys in your whitetail hunt, man. I mean, I don't you're sun up to sun down in a tree stand. I, I don't know if I could handle it. You know? <laughs> so, but I'm trying to get there because you know the blacktail, you know, blacktail in general are just a hard are hard species to hunt. You know, I Aaron will probably you know attest to that. You know, they're just they're just like a ghost, man. I mean, they're, they're there and they're gone and you won't even know it. You know I mean? I've had, I ran cameras and units and had bucks on my cams, you know, all night long for a month. And, and one time in the daytime they came by, you know, and if you're not there, you're not going to kill them, you know? And, and, you know, there's the controversy always going on between, you know, baiting and, and not baiting and tree stands and ground blinds and stuff. But, you know, when you're talking an animal like that, I mean, you've got to use all your tactics you can, you know, and, and, you know, those guys that can do it, I, I give them a lot of props because, you know, it, it's a whole different kind of hunting and it still takes, it, it's still tough. You know, it, it's mentally tough and, you know, it can be a struggle to sit in that ground blind or that tree stand when you're not seeing anything. And these guys that do it though, it pays off. I mean, there's some big bucks killed out here like that. You know, some more, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of them for doing it. You know, it's, it's different. I haven't tried it. I mean, I've tried it a little bit, but yeah, definitely. So hopefully have, one day I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah. I've got a ton of respect for a ton of respect for the guys that hunt out of tree stands in the ground blast. Cause like you're saying, man, the patience it takes is, is unreal. Um, yeah, my my experience has been very limited and only hunted in a tree stand in Alabama where uh where Brian Broderick's done a, a ton of work um making it into awesome whitetail habitat. So he's they're overrun with whitetail. You know, you you've got several encounters um each morning and each evening sitting in that tree stand, but in a lot of places like uh when Aaron and, and Brian were just in Oklahoma, they didn't have as many deer running around and um so yeah, I think just holding out and waiting for that specific target buck for a lot of these guys, it's uh, it's definitely definitely admirable um, that they spend so much time and 
and dedicate themselves to to certain a certain buck or a certain score, I guess, or you know, holding out and and having the patience to. And it, so a lot of times it doesn't it doesn't happen, but um, yeah, it it definitely takes a different type of uh, mentality to to sit there in a tree stand or a, a ground blind and. Um, we get a little bit of that when we go out uh, turkey hunting. Uh, I have a tough time just sitting there because a lot of a lot of this turkey hunting I do here in Colorado, even though they don't recommend it, it's a lot of spot and stock type stuff or running and gunning. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely give yeah, those guys uh, a lot. Of, I have a lot of respect for those types of hunters. You know, and I think a lot of people don't really consider the not only the time put in sitting in the stand and stuff, but just setting these spots up and, and keeping them going. You know, I mean that's that's full time dedication too. I mean, you're not going to keep these bucks and and you know deer coming in if you're not constantly going in there and, you know, feeding and checking cams and, and moving things. And, you know, I mean, you've, you've got to be where the animals are. If you're, if you got to stand there, there's no animals. You're just wasting time. So these guys are still scouting. They're just doing it a different way, you know, and, and it's, it's a lot of work. Like I said, I mean, I've tried it a little bit and you've got to be out there a few times a week if you can, you know, putting out feed or, or, you know, moving stands, moving blind, whatever it might be, you know, it's still, it's still work. It's, you know, it's, it's still, it's still hunting and you're, you're still, challenging these animals and you know it's just a different way than than some people prefer but you know most of these a lot of these guys that i know are super successful with it you know and and i'm kind of like air and i have a hard time holding out you know that's that's my biggest thing is you know generally i'm opportunistic so if i see an animal that i can shoot i'm going to shoot it generally (laughs) you know i'd like to say someday i'll be a trophy hunter but i don't know i mean i just like killing things so it's hard to pass up legal animal you know yeah i definitely think that that depends on the circumstance like uh the high country mule deer stuff that we do um we had a lot of time this year so i i personally wanted to to hold out for a, a fairly decent buck um but yeah when when the opportunity comes across you and you, you know you have a gimme shot it's, it's pretty hard to turn it down um i think this year i might give a give it a go with a muzzleloader i think you said you might try it out as well so i think um that extends your your kill range a little bit with those things so i might i might hold out for something something bigger that'll be interesting if i end up doing that I, i'm looking at a, a possible puzzle or tag right now that mule deer the mule deer hunt um you know, I've, I've got a little bit of limited knowledge on muzzle loaders not a ton but um you know just just like you it's just something different and, and you know get you out in a different time of year and, and kind of out of your elements and that's one of the nice things about hunting you know is, is you can gear it towards you know what you want to do if you want to be a rifle hunter you can rifle hunter if you want to bow you bow and if you want to do them all you can do them all and that's kind of where i'm at is it's just it's all challenging in its own and brings different kinds of challenges so i'm kind of looking forward to it if i end up doing it um if i don't do it this year i'll probably do it next year for sure but well i guess it's be next year but um but yeah i'm looking forward to it and and trying something new and keep you you know keep things exciting so yeah, then I can talk shit if you miss and be like, dude, it was a muzzle loader. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can do There's the same to me. There's a lot of shit talking, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, cool, man. I think we're coming up here on, uh, on what's that? Oh, I was going to say that's what keeps it fun, though. Yeah, exactly. It keeps it keeps, uh, keeps us competitive as well. But um, cool, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's We're coming up on 50 minutes. So uh, thanks again. We'll have to get you on um, th- after this upcoming season and, and talk more about hunting and hopefully you get some predators on the ground we can we can talk about that as well yeah definitely definitely hopefully uh this next season's i won't say better i had, I had opportunities this year and just you know killed a couple bucks and uh you know didn't didn't quite capitalize during elk season which i should have but yeah it's been good i appreciate you guys having me on and i appreciate you guys everything you guys do for me and and keep doing what you guys are doing you're doing a great job at it so yeah, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Well, thanks again, Chris. Um, 
we will have this pod. Well, I guess I was going to say we'll have this podcast posted soon, but it's not like it's live. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. So cool, man. Well, thanks again, Chris. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Bye. See you.